Welcome to Renaissance Church. My name is Jared Ott. I'm the executive pastor and so glad to be with you as we continue in this series called Courageous Stories of Faith. Your lead pastor, Christian, and I have been talking about this for the past few weeks, and we're going to be doing so over the, over the, uh, the rest of the summer. Why? To encourage and inspire you. And what, what we're hoping to do through this is for you to understand that God uses people like you and me to advance his kingdom. Let me say that again, that God uses people like you and me to advance his kingdom, to carry out his will, but it all starts with an act of courage on our part. It all starts with an act of courage on our part. And you're going to hear this time and time again that God is calling you, just like he's calling people from throughout the scriptures to do something for him, to carry out his will. And so we look at these folks. In the past few weeks, we've been looking at different folks. Some are familiar to you. We talked about Noah. Last week, we talked about Shipra and Pua. Many of you have never even heard of those two. Midwives who did something courageous that allowed Moses to live. And, and so we, we, we see throughout history that God uses people, courageous acts, big and little, to advance his kingdom. And you've receive this from time to time in the past. We, there's some available at the Information uh, Center, but it's the Old Testament timeline. Why? So you can understand that God continues to use people throughout time. And we've, we've talked about this. You have creation. We talked about Noah and in the very beginning and how God uses a courageous act to carry his will forward. And you have the call of Abraham. You remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they had 12 sons, Jacob, that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And they are in captivity uh, in the end of Genesis, where they're in captivity in Egypt. And that's where Moses comes into play. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Courageous act again. And time and time again, remember that story where Moses asked, let him go. And he says, yes, then no, then all the plagues come. Finally, Pharaoh lets the people go and Moses takes them into the wilderness. And then you have another act of courage. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. And Joshua is there at the end. And Joshua goes as Moses sends some uh, spies into the, into, the, uh, into the land, the promised land, Israel. And the Joshua comes back with courage and says, we can take this land. We can conquer this land that God has given to us. And so they, they go in. There's conquest that happens in Joshua, as you see. Again, a courageous act of courage. Then, then you have the period of judges, the period of the judges. Now, when you think of judge, you think, often think of what the, the person with the, you know, the, the black, black cape on or the, the gown with behind a big desk uh, carrying out judgments, right? This is not the kind of judge that we're talking about uh, during the, the, the period of the Old Testament. A judge at that time meant deliverer. It's a, it's a word that, that describes somebody who rescues somebody else. And so throughout the period of judges, we see that God uses people to carry out his will. Ordinary people, people that you did not think of that, that have any kind of great feat amongst them. Just ordinary people that God uses. People that you would not expect. I think for my life, people wouldn't expect that I was going to be a pastor. Okay? I 
got into ministry because of a courageous act of somebody asking if I wanted to help out in the youth ministry at the church. And so I did. I actually was going to school for cardiovascular technology until I realized that during my freshman year of college that every time I saw blood, I fainted. And so I realized probably not the best uh, field to go into. But I don't have... I'm not your typical pastor, right? I don't have, uh, I still look at some pastors, I go, I'm not like them, right? Especially when I drive, right? I, I, yesterday I was with my son, we were on a trip and we saw somebody who had a license plate that says, I'm a pastor, right? And he said, dad, why don't you have one of those? And I said, have you seen how I drive? I do not want people to know that I'm a pastor when I cut them off. And, and I, he said, dad, you're, you're going over the speed limit. I know, I said, I know. That's why I don't want to let people know I'm a pastor. I don't let them know until I get pulled over and then they tell the police officer that I am in fact a pastor. Right? Not the typical pastor. A little patience when I drive. But these judges that we look at aren't, aren't typical judges either. They're not legal experts. They're, they're not uh, generals of armies. They weren't known for the military feats. These, these judges that we look at, they, they didn't have like a, a power or authority. They weren't even uh, elected. It wasn't like they were elected officials or they were leading at some other point. No, God just picked them up and said, no, you, you're going to be uh, my deliverer here. You, well, I'm going to use you. It's a courageous act. People that you would not expect to lead Israel. And what happens through Judges, as we look at that period of time, there's a very similar pattern. What happens is now that they're in the promised land, there's a, there's a very similar pattern. It went like this. They had rebellion People rebelled, so God punished them, and then they call for deliverer. God raises up a judge or a deliverer, and they're delivered, and there's a time of peace. And then they rebel again, there's punishment, there's deliverance. It happens over and over and over again. Fourteen judges. You would think the people would kind of figured it out by then, right? Fourteen judges. And what was happening during this time is all the folks around the Israelites in the promised land, they were attacking them from all sides, right? And during that, during that history, we see that there's major oppression. These armies are massive and they're wiping out Israel time and time again. And so God raises up some judges. Some of them are very familiar. Gideon, who we're going to talk about in a moment, was a judge. You think of Deborah, a judge. Samson. Many of you know the story of Samson. He was a judge. Eli. Samuel was a judge. He was the last judge. He's the one who appointed Saul as king. And then they appointed David and Solomon. That's Samuel. Those are judges that we're very familiar with. There's some other judges that are very little we know about, right? And when you read the book of Judges, it is a graphic book. It is a book of war and of murder, all kinds of stuff happening. I'm surprised Hollywood hasn't grabbed more of judges to make movies of. Shamgar was a judge. You don't hear much about Shamgar. He killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, which is like a long pointy stick. Jephthah was a judge. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, Lord, if you deliver us from the, uh, uh, the people that are pressing us, I promise to sacrifice the first person I see after battle. The first person that came to him was his own daughter. It's Jephthah. We think of Ehud. Ehud was a judge who was left-handed. Ehud was unique in the sense that he was left-handed. Most people were right-handed. So he went to go see the king of Moab. The Moabites were terrible. Moab was a huge army, and their king was a huge, obese man. Okay. 
And so Ehud goes in, he's left-handed, so when the guards check his left side, because that's where the sword is usually pulled from, he didn't have it there, he had it on his right side. So he was able to go in and kill the king. He was so heavy, it says that his sword went into his stomach and swallowed his sword in his hand. It's Ehud. We think of Samson. Samson, you know, the story of Samson killed a thousand men with a donkey's jawbone. There's J.R. J.R., there's only a few verses. It says J.R. had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys and controlled 30 towns. J.R. had a monopoly, right? He just, he owned it all, right? So all these stories, but, the, but it's a very similar thing. It's rebellion, it's punishment, it's deliverance, and it's people that God raised up. He chose these people. You have to understand, he chose them. They did not look like judges. They did not look like conquerors. They did not look like people, men or women, that you would think would lead people. But now we have the story of Gideon, courage through weakness. Most of us would know uh, the story of Gideon, Gideon, but we recognize, maybe you've heard of the Gideon International Bible. Those are the Bibles that are in hotel rooms. If you ever see a, been in a hotel room, you see the Bibles there. That's the Gideon Bible. And on there, there's a symbol. It's, it's a picture, a two-handed picture with flames coming out because that's what the Lord used to conquer the people the enemies of the Israelites, that's Gideon. But it started with the courage of some folks back in the early 1900s that said, you know what, we want to put a Bible in every hotel room. Now there's over 2 billion Gideon Bibles. Isn't that great? Started with some folks who said, I, I want to do this. We want to put Bibles, we want to give out Bibles to everybody. Courage, courage that God uses to propel his mission forward. So we have the story of Gideon, and it happens in Judges 6. And what's going on is, again, the, there's rebellion, and so God's punishing the Israelites. And now it's the Midianites who are just conquering the Israelites. They keep coming in and killing the people. They keep destroying the crops of the Israelites. They keep uh, wiping out their, uh, their livestock, all kinds of oppression. And the Israelites are terrified. This is one of the biggest armies in the land, and the Israelites are terrified of these folks. And so you see, when we get to Judges 6, we see all the, many of the Israelites hiding in mountains and in caves, because this has been going on for so long. And God raises up somebody with courage. They cry out, and God speaks to somebody, Gideon. Not somebody you'd think of, not somebody who's a great conqueror, but Gideon. We see Gideon in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in Orpah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he, he said, The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. Okay, so we have Israel now being attacked. Everybody's afraid. And Gideon is in a kind of a bizarre place. It says that he is threshing wheat in a wine press. Most of you do not have the opportunity to thresh wheat on a regular basis. I do not have the, uh, the luxury of threshing wheat. But I do know that the last place that you want to thresh wheat is in a wine press. 
You see, you want to thresh wheat somewhere uh, either on a field or on a mountaintop because what you do when you thresh wheat, you throw the wheat up, the, the bad chaff blows away, and the good stuff falls in the ground. You need a place where it's windy. A wine press is a deep pit. That's where you stomp grapes. That's where Gideon is. He's down in a pit threshing wheat, which is pretty much the most ridiculous thing I can think of because you would be working all day and probably not making much progress at all. Because you'd throw it up and everything would just fall down because we're, the wind's not going to blow it anywhere. But he's so terrified that he's down in this place, and I love it. The angel of the Lord comes and, in kind of a funny way. He says, uh, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. There's Gideon. I think of this, I think of this kind of scrawny guy, little guy, in this, this terrified in this wine press. And the, the angel comes and says, the Lord be with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's not terrified, he's not panicked, because the Lord appeared in a man right there in that wine press, so he has this conversation. In verse 15, Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none of them alive. You see, the Lord says he's going to be with Gideon. This is not a, a great man with all kinds of strengths. He says he's from Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the tribes that was the weakest. And not only is it the, one of the weakest, but he and his family is one of the weakest people. So you got to figure, he's like the weakest person in Israel. It's kind of funny that the Lord would go say, okay, we're going we're gonna, to, we're gonna, um, I'm going to save the Israelites. I'm going to use the scrawniest, weakest person I could find. He goes to Gideon. Man of weakness. The angel calls him a man of valor, a man of great strength. It's not what he was, it's what he would become. You see, when he says you're a mighty war, it's not what he was, it's what he would become. That's the same thing with Samuel, and Samuel anoints David. David's a kid. It's not the kid. Samuel doesn't see a kid. He sees a king inside a kid. It's not what he was, it's what he would become. When the Lord looks at you, it's not what you were, it's what you can become. When you allow the Lord's strength to flow through you. So Gideon is there, and he says, oh, Okay, I, I need a sign. Lord, I'm not sure. I need a sign. So he gets a fleece. He puts a fleece out and he says, Lord, if you want me to do this, in the morning when I wake up, I want the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. So he wakes up, the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. He says, okay, I got my answer. But Lord, just one more time. I need another solid answer here, right? We do that, don't we? Like, Lord, are you sure that you're really asking me to do this? Are you sure you're asking me to, to get involved in the youth ministry? Are you sure you're asking me to lead a prayer ministry or lead a discussion group? God, I'm not really sure. So I need some clarity. We, we ask for that, don't we? So the Lord says, okay. So he puts it out again. And this time Gideon says, okay, this time I want the opposite. I, I want the ground to be wet, but the fleece to be dry. He wakes up, ground is wet, the fleece is dry. And Gideon says, okay. So he says, okay, I'm going to go and fight the the Midianites. And so he says, I'm going to get as many people as I can. He gets 32,000 men. So now Gideon's all ready to go. Okay. He gets 32,000 men. And then Judges 7 verse 2, the Lord says something else. 
says, the Lord says to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your, their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So I'm sure Gideon at this point is going, oh, are you serious? I finally am going to do what you're calling me to do. And now you're saying I've got too many men? The Lord says you've got too many. If you take that many men to go against Midian, then everybody's going to know that it's all the strength of the soldiers. It's not my power working through you. It's not my strength. It's your strength. It's on your own, not my own. So what he says, he says, tell Gideon, uh, he says to Gideon, Gideon, just tell them if anybody's afraid to go fight the army, tell them they can go home. Can you imagine going to our army right now, our military, and saying, hey, if you're afraid, stay back right? Two-thirds of them stay back. That's how frightful they were, right? Almost 20,000 men say, okay, I'm not going. So now Gideon has 10,000. Gideon goes, okay, I'm ready to go. The Lord says, no, still too many. Still too many men, Gideon. I'm going to reduce it even more. What you want to do is take them down to the river, goes on to say in Judges 7, take them down the river and separate them and tell them to go drink. If they, if they get down their hands and knees and drink like a dog, then, then we'll know that that's one group. The other ones that scoop it out of their hands and drink it out of their hands, that's another group. And 300 did that. He said, those are the 300. Take them, just them. So now Gideon's going up against a humongous army with just 300. How terrifying. So... Gideon, out of courage, says, okay, Lord, you're with me. I'm going to do this. It's a big task that you're calling me to do, but I'm going to go do whatever you called me to do. I'm going to be, be, allow, I'm going to be allowed to be used in a certain time and place to advance your kingdom. So he takes these 300 men, and the Lord says, what you want to do is you want to go surround the Midianite camp at night. Take jars, two-handed jars, and a torch. And in the middle of the night, what I want you to do, Gideon, is I want you to smash these pots together. All 300 of you, I want you to light your torches. I want you to scream real loud. Now, if this would happen in this day and age, the police would be called everything. Because you go, these guys are just crazy. Surrounding this huge army, they're going to smash pots together. They're going to light torches and scream. But what happens is they do this in the middle of the night. The Midianites get so confused and so ter terrified because they see this camp surrounded. They hear all this noise that they panic and start killing each other. And so they're wiped out for good. 300 men destroy the entire army. Why? Not because of what they did. It's because all because of what the Lord has done. There are some people who have started ministries like the Gideon Bible, who said, you know what? This seems like an impossible task, but I'm going to do it because the Lord is calling me to do it. Some folks in our church came to myself and Christian some time back and said, I really want to start a prayer ministry. Said, it, we're going to do it. We're going to pray regularly throughout the week. We're going to get up early. We're going to pray. We're going to, we're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our city, our community. We're going to do it. That's courage. That's courage because we don't know what's going to happen through the power of prayer. I met with a, um, a mother some time back when I first started here at the church who was in her 60s, and she said, I'm working with the middle school students. She said, I don't look like a typical middle schooler. I don't really know what they do or why they do what they do, but I love them, 
and I want to I want to be there for them. I want to help them. I want to encourage them. And the kids love her. That's courage. It's courage to be able to say, I'm going to do something that I don't know if it makes a whole lot of sense. I don't have a whole lot of strength to do it. I may not be the, the most obvious person to lead this, but I'm going to do it. Some people have said, I'm going to lead a group. I want people to come into my home. I want to lead them. I may not know what I'm doing, but I know that God's calling me to do this thing, so I'm going to have courage. Some of you, it's not about getting involved in serving. It's about ministering or serving right in your homes. Marriages that are falling apart saying, you know what, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to be there because I want to be an encouragement to my husband, my wife. I want to be an encouragement to my kids through their process that they're going through. I'm going to stick this one out. I'm going to go to the job that I hate. Why? Because I know that I can be a witness and a light to the people there. That is courage, and God always moves his plan forward through the courage of his people. But we first have to realize that courage and weakness happens when we realize that God does speak to us. That God speaks to us. It would be great to be like Gideon where we're just going along and all of a sudden there's an angel that shows up and tells us exactly what needs to happen. Let me tell you, church, that God does speak to us. He speaks to us in ways that prompts us to do things. Prompts us to to behave a certain way or to do something or to go and witness to somebody or start a ministry or open up our homes. He speaks to us. I know God has spoken to me a number of times. One of the Biggest times he spoke to me was how I met my wife, Deb. I was a college, my second day of college. I was a freshman, and I didn't know many people at the college. And my wife, who was two years older, walked up on the stage in front of me. She was doing an orientation for the freshman. And when I saw her, I knew immediately I was supposed to marry her. I even turned to my roommate, who was the only person I know. I said, do you know who that is? He said, no. I said, I'm supposed to marry her. God's telling me I'm supposed to marry her. He said, don't ever tell anybody that again. (laughs) Come to find out later, Deb was engaged to somebody else. But every time I saw her, I had this prompting, this overwhelming feeling from God saying, you're supposed to marry her. And so what I did was I said, okay, God, I got to put this fleece out. You either make her available or um, take her out of my mind. Every day I saw her, I felt this prompting. She was engaged to somebody else, so I hired a hitman. No, I didn't. <laughs> she broke it off. I had nothing to do with it. Right. We went on our first date together, and after our first date, I called my mom. I said, we're going to get married. Why? Because when you have a prompting from God and you have courage to follow through with it, then you know that God's behind it. Some of you have had promptings in life to do certain things, whether it's in ministry or serving at the church, whether it's giving, financially or whether it's staying right where you're at and being a witness or encouragement in your home and that's God's prompting you to do that the question is is how do you know when God is speaking to you I get that question a lot how do you know when God's speaking to you I always tell people that it's always consistent with who he is Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever it's always consistent with who he is If God's prompting you to do something time and time again, that is probably him prompting you. If it's something related to to witnessing to somebody, reaching out in ministry or in serving, it's probably the Lord. 
I've had a number of people come to me in my office and say, hey, I want to start this ministry. And then two weeks later, say, you know what? God's telling me to start this ministry. And then a month later, say, no, no, God's want me to do this. I said, listen, I think you just need time to pray about it because he's not going to keep changing what he wants you to do all the time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as he was the same with Gideon, he's the same with you and I today. But he does speak to us. The question isn't whether he speaks to us. The question is whether or not we're listening. The promptings we get, even as we come to service on Sunday and we get inspired and encouraged, the question is, are you going to do that when we leave this place? He, it's consistent with who he is. It's also confirmed with godly counsel. Proverbs 11 says this, for the lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory, victory is won through many advisors. I've had many people come and talk to me and say, Jared, I really feel like God prompted me to do this. Should I do it? And we, we pray about it together. I can pray along with them. That's why we're encouraging you to get involved in a group so you have a, a group of people that can come alongside you on big decisions in life or storms in life and say, listen, we want to pray about along this with you. And there have been times when I say, you know what? I really feel like God telling me to reach out to this person, give this person a phone call, write this person a letter. That's God prompting us. And a lot of times I will go and I'll speak with other uh, people that I know, advisors and friends of mine, and say, is this really something that God's putting on my heart? Is this really from the Lord? Because ultimately, they also result in peace. It, it, did, for, it did for Gideon, Judges 6. The Lord said to him, peace, don't be afraid, you're not going to die. There was peace when Gideon was going through this. David also said this in Psalm 29, 11, the Lord gives what? Strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. We realize God speaks to us. Is he speaking to you today? Is he prompting you today? And are you listening? When we realize that God speaks to us, we also recognize that he equips us. It's he that equips us. It wasn't the army that equipped Gideon. It wasn't the pots. It wasn't the flame. It was the Lord that equipped them. Instruments in the hands of a redeemer is really powerful. We're instruments in the hands of a redeemer. God equips us. We look at the book of Judges, we see Gideon, and we also see Samson. These guys were both judges, both put into a very similar situation. There's rebellion, there's punishment, and then God raises them up, but they couldn't be more different. Gideon was weak. Samson was strong. Gideon was too weak for God to use. Samson was too, too strong for God to use. Gideon didn't believe he could accomplish anything. Samson believed he could accomplish anything. Neither of these kind of leaders make good leaders. The man or woman who feels they have nothing to offer and the man or woman who feels they have everything to offer would be good to avoid. They're complete opposites. One is weak, one is strong. God uses the one that's strong. What happens to Samson, they cut his hair and he becomes what? Weak. The only way God was going to be able to use Samson was he's got to be weak. He's got to be humble. You want to be used by God, you've got to be humble. You look at the leaders around this, and I, I know in my own world, when I look at great pastors who have fallen, you see this all the time. I go, I think of them as having the, the Samson effect. They think they're great, and they think they're invincible. God has to humble them. When the Lord 
when Peter, in First Peter, when he talks about casting our anxieties on the Lord, you've got to cast your anxieties on the Lord. But I always tell people the verse before that is humble yourself before God's mighty hand. In order for you to cast your burdens, cast what's going on in front of you, you've got to first be humble and realize that God's in control and that you can't do anything on your own that God's going to take care of the situation. God's going to get you through the storm. And so Samson and Gideon, complete opposites. One is weak, becomes strong. The other is strong, becomes weak, and then God uses him. That's why in Hebrews 11, when it talks about all the great men and women of faith, it says, whose weakness was turned to strength and whose became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. The weakness had to be turned to strength. Those men and women who didn't think that they could do it on their own, they couldn't. It had to be God. Here's the question. Why didn't God just wipe out the Midianites? Why didn't God just send a big flood or fire and brimstone and wipe them all out? Why did God need Gideon to do it? The answer is this. He needed the courage of Gideon. He needed the courage of the 300 to do it. He could have done it on his own, but he works through us, just like you and me, to advance his kingdom and his will here on this earth. You think about Gideon. You think about those 300 Did he need them? Yes, because he needed them to be courageous and move forward. It was in their weakness that God made them strong. Paul understood this full well in 2 Corinthians 12 when he said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults. We have insults, don't we? In hardships, we're going through hardships. In persecution, Paul went through them. We are too, and in difficulties, just like we're going through now. For when I am weak, then what? I'm strong. Why? Because once, once we realize that we want what we're doing in life, the difficulties that we have, or the things that God's prompting us, once we realize that we can't do them on our own, then we become humble, then he can really use us. We realize that God speaks to us. We recognize that God equips us, but we have to remember that God always uses us. He always uses us. Just like he used Gideon, just like he used the 300, it was about them being obedient. Philippians 2, for it is by it is God who works in you to do and will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose in life. I would never be here if it wasn't for a courageous act of someone saying, hey, Jared, would you want to help out in the youth ministry? I had no idea what that even meant. I went to a church that didn't have a youth ministry, really. We didn't have a youth pastor. I didn't even know what a youth pastor was. I thought it was just a young pastor. I thought, well, that's, they're being nice. I don't know what an old pastor is, but I don't want to be one. Right? I, I had no idea, but I, I, I stepped out in faith to say, okay, the courageous act of asking me to get involved and then for me to go do it led me here. You may never know everybody in life. In fact, you may never have heard of a man named Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball. You know, I've never met this. He, was a, he, was a, he worked in a shoe store. He lived many years ago, and he really felt a prompting one Sunday to to teach Sunday school to middle school boys. That is a calling, right? Middle sc- I have one. Teaching Sunday school to middle school boys. And so what, what Edward Kimball did, he said, okay, I'm going to go teach these middle school boys. And he was so passionate about them wanting to know uh, who Christ was 
that he really wanted them all to have a relationship with him. So he would kind of track them down and really follow up with them. He was praying for them. He finally led one to Christ in a shoe store. It was Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody went on to be a huge evangelist. And he was preaching, and he led J. Wilbur Chapman to Christ. J. Wilbur Chapman also became a huge evangelist. And one time, J. Wilbur, J. Wilbur was preaching, and he, he talked to a man who was a baseball player, Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a great baseball player, ended up accepting Christ, stopped playing baseball, and then he became a big evangelist. And then Billy Sunday led a, a man named Mordecai Ham to Christ. Mordecai Ham then was uh, doing an um, uh, evangelistic crusade at one point, and, and then um, Billy Graham was there. Billy Graham became a Christian. And we all know the story of Billy Graham. So it was because of Billy Graham but it was more because of Mordecai Ham. It was more because of Mordecai Ham was because of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was because of J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman was because of Dwight L. Moody. But Dwight L. Moody became a Christian simply because Edward Kimball wanted to reach out and felt a calling to witness to middle school boys on a Sunday morning. That's power. That's when you say, you know what? God's going to use us to advance his kingdom. God always uses us. Paul knew that. Paul knew that God is always going to use people. He works in us to will and to act, to fulfill his good purpose. You may never know who Edward Kimball is. In the Bible, there's men and women who have done courageous acts. Paul knew this from a man named Ananias. If you remember the story of Paul, Paul was used to be Saul. He was, a, he was killing Christians all over the place. He was on a mission to kill Christians until he had, uh, on Damascus, he had this revelation from the Lord that his, he was the Lord. The Lord was the, the king. He was the one that died for Saul and that he gave his life for this world. And so Saul gave his life to the Lord right then and there and on the road to Damascus, changed his name to Paul. But then he went blind and God used somebody else to touch Paul, to continue his ministry. In Acts 9, it was Ananias who the Lord spoke to. The Lord told Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, named Saul, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So there is Saul who got converted, understood that the Lord is all-powerful, all-knowing that the Lord loves us so much that he died on the cross for us and that we give our life to him. So he, he has surrendered his life to the Lord, and now he's blind. And Ananias is now told, go to Saul's house. Now look, the Lord didn't tell Ananias that Saul had been converted. The only thing Ananias knew is that Saul was killing Christians, and he's one of them. And so now Ananias has to go to Saul's house and put his hands on him. You want me to actually touch this guy? He's a terrorist, killing Christians, and you want, me, you want to use me, Lord, to touch him. But he goes. He puts his hands on Saul's eyes, and he, be, and he sees again. So then Paul goes out and touches the world. But before Paul could go out and touch the world, Ananias first had to touch Paul. Just like Billy Graham went out and preached to thousands and millions of people, he first was used by Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball, as simple as it was, said, you know what, I'm going to go and minister and, and preach and teach to middle school boys. 
God uses people like you and me every day. So the question is, is will we respond to God today? In a few minutes, we're going to sing a great song about God's power, how God uses us. And the song, that song reminds us that his strength has to flow through us. That's what that song reminds us of how great he is. But it's about being used by him. I recently, some time ago, was talking to a mother about her son. Her son was doing drugs, and he was going in front of a judge, and he was probably going to go for, to jail for a number of years. And she was really down, but she came in because even her, the son's father had kind of given up on the boy. And the mom's outlook was much different. She knew that the best was yet to come. She saw so much potential in that son of hers. So she said, look, I'm going to continue to pray for him. I'm going to continue to talk about him, about who the Lord is. I'm going to continue to preach the gospel to him. I'm not going to give up on him because I see potential. I see a great king inside that kid. There's something that's going to be potential about his life. So even though I'm in this difficult situation, I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to flee from it. I'm not going to pretend that it's not happening. I'm going to get out of that pit and I'm going to go and I'm going to reach out to my son. That is another Ananias. That is another Gideon. I was counseling with a couple a while back who was having severe marital issues. The husband was stressed out, led to depression. He was drinking all the time. It was mean to his, to his kids. After talking to the wife individually, she says, I don't want to leave him. I believe there's good there. Not because of who he was, but because I know what he can become. So I'm going to stick it out. I know that I'm in the storm, but God's going to give me courage to continue to reach out to him, to encourage him, to write him scriptures, to pray for him every single day. She's not going to give up on him. That's another Ananias. That's another Gideon. I was involved in a ministry with a man for some time whose mother was an atheist. And he said, I preached to her almost every single day, every time I had a chance to talk to her, and she always rejected Christ. She didn't want to know anything about who he was, the fact that he died for us. There's no way that she she was ever, ever going to give her life to Christ. But he said, you know what, that didn't stop me. Every time I saw her, I wanted to talk about who Christ was. And even to her deathbed, even when she was in hospice, he went and spoke to her about Christ. And on her deathbed, she gave her life over to Christ. That is another Gideon, another Ananias. Someone that God uses to touch other people. Someone God uses to advance his kingdom here on earth. The question is for you today is, will you respond to God? Will you respond to him? Some of you have been feeling like you've been in a pit too. Where you feel like, you know what, I'm not doing anything. I'm just kind of going through the motions. I'm depressed. I'm down. I don't have a good relationship with my spouse. I don't have a good relationship with my kids. And I keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And God wants to use you this morning. You first got to get out of the pit. I'm telling you, you got to get out of the pit. And respond to what God's calling you to do because he wants to give you the courage. Because he always uses us to move his plan forward. The question is, is will you respond to that today? I hope you do because we can see there's courageous stories of faith. And I hope when people look at you, they say, you know what? That was a courageous person. They were courageous in what they did. 
in the situation that God gave them or the, the area of service that God wanted them to do. They were courageous. Another Gideon, another Ananias. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the fact that you use us in the place that you have us. Some of us are going through difficulties. Lord, you're prompting us to encourage our spouse or encourage our kids or to be praying for them to, or to, to be a, a light or witness in the place that we are right now, whether it's our workplaces or our home lives. Lord, help us to be courageous. Lord, some of us, you're calling to do great things, whether it's starting a prayer ministry, helping in the youth ministry, going on a missions trip, starting a group. Lord, help us to be courageous knowing that it's not about who we are. It's about our weakness where we rely on your strength to use us. We thank you, Lord, for how great you are, for always being with us and allowing your power, your strength to flow through us. I pray that you do that here today. And I ask all this in your precious and holy name.